Uh, so these Sunday nights we've been doing um, really just a series on of core teachings on specific, specific subjects, things that I feel that uh, many average churches lack. And um, last Sunday night we talked about virtuous thinking. Uh, but I've had this thought uh, for a little while to... Um, teach on leadership, and I actually have been thinking about having a class, uh, maybe a series of classes on leadership, and what is leadership, um, biblical leadership, uh, leadership in the family, personal leadership, leadership in every realm of our lives, and I've been thinking about when that could actually happen, so um, that's something that we can talk about later, but Tonight, just for a few minutes, maybe we could talk about leadership from the perspective of biblical leadership and uh, characteristics of good leadership and the with the prime example of leadership being Jesus Christ. And I want us just to look at this and make a few points because, you know, um, all of us at this table are leaders in some way, you know, we're leading in some way, uh, we're, we're influencing people. What is a leader? A leader is a person who has the ability to influence other people to do things that they naturally would not do themselves or see themselves to do. That's what a leader is. If you are able in any way, a 14-year-old could be a leader in his group. Uh, if, it, it, okay, if you are able to, um, we'll take notes for you. If you are able to influence other people and to lead them to do something, not push, but lead them to do something that they normally would not do, then you are a leader of some kind. Uh, biblical leadership is exactly that, leading and not pushing. Uh, pushing is not leadership. Uh, leading happens by example. So let's just start with Matthew 20, verse 28. We'll look at a few verses together tonight. Matthew 20, verse 28. And my prayer is, is that after this, and however many that we do on the subject of leadership, is that you could in the future look at a leader and then qualify them in your minds through spiritual discernment and just having in your mind a checklist like, okay, is this a toxic leader? Is this a, uh, is this a building leader? Is this a leader that has my best interest or the interest of the team or the interest of the group or the interest of the church in, in, uh, in its best interest? And so... If we read in uh, Matthew 20, verse uh, 28, it says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That really is in the words of Christ himself. That was his definition of leadership. Uh, leadership today is not defined this way, because many times leadership can be seen as, okay, I'm there to serve that person. A leader has to have in his mind, really, that I'm here to serve. You know, I'm here to serve, and if 
and if need be, to lay down my life for uh, many. And this is really the biblical concept of leadership. We can see leadership illustrated in John chapter 13. Let's turn there. We can read like how Jesus, uh, how he led his disciples. Um, notice in, um, I just want you to notice something. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 1, the way the book of Acts opens, this is what, this is how it opens, okay? The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, this book, the book of Acts is written about uh, what Jesus began to do and teach. You see that, you see that, um, that order very often the, that Jesus did and he teach. It did not say that he taught and did, but he taught, I mean, he did and then he taught. And so a leader always begins with uh, an example to back up what he's saying, like a a pastor or a leader or a team leader uh, that gets up and talks about something that he is not presently doing in his life at that moment or hasn't done before. Then there's going to be a problem with people receiving from that leader, isn't there? And so... um, Leadership in John 13 is really uh, not getting, not afraid to get our hands dirty. And let's read this in verses. Uh, let's just read a few verses here. Um, now, when the now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil already having put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had gone, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. And he said to Simon Peter, <coughs> and then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Note that he's doing this with Judas. He's washing all the feet of the disciples with Judas in the room. So when he washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so we see here that four things that Jesus is communicating through his practical example. I like how he said to Peter, you don't understand what I'm, gonna, what I'm going to do until I do it. 
And that's a lot of times in our lives and a lot of times people that we are leading, uh, that we are encouraging, that we're discipling. Now, you notice that today in church I kind of encouraged some of us to just pick someone just to disciple. And disciple means just basically to influence them, uh, to encourage them, to build them up, and sometimes to challenge them. And it's like something that you don't have to do unless God brings someone like that into your life. But uh, when we do this, many times they, people are not going to understand what we are telling them. Uh, they have no capacity for things that maybe you're telling them until they see you do it first. And then after you do it, like Jesus, we can say, you don't understand what I'm going to do now, but after I do it, you will understand. And so Jesus' number one basic, and there's four things I want to look at in this passage of Scripture regarding leadership. And by the way, in Greater Grace, when we talk about leadership, we like to call it servant leadership. And that's a word that's used in a lot of Christian churches that that describe a type of leadership that is not top-heavy, that is not lording over people, that's not manipulating people, that is not controlling people's lives, that is not micromanaging people, that's not running people over with a steamroller. You know what I'm talking about. It's Servant leader, leadership is the type of leadership that we see in the life of Christ. And that's for us, and I understand that as really a picture of what it means to be a leader. One preacher said it this way, that if you saw Jesus with his disciples, among his disciples, being with his disciples, and you were not to know which, if you, and you were, you, and you were not, you did not know which one Jesus was, you would not be able to pick him out among the disciples necessarily that easily because he was so much one of them. And so we really see Jesus as the servant leader or uh, servanthood leadership. So number one, Jesus' basic motivation was really love. This is verse one. And it, we really see here that Jesus, knowing that his end was near, that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the end. Uh, and I'm going to explain these in a moment. So that's number one, our basic love we want to have as, as someone who is influencing other people, whether I'm, a, whether I'm a father or a grandfather or a friend or someone that I'm le- le- leading or I'm influencing, I want to make sure that my motivation is love. <clears throat> My personal motivation for our church is is that I really am passionate that people would grow in their calling in who they are in Christ. I really that's what I if that is my biggest prayer for all of us that we would all discover the amazing plan that God has for us and that in, that I could in some way with others help equip us we could be equipped to face the different battles spiritual battles that we're going to face in this life and to be able to go through them. And that's really my desire. And so if I, see, if I see God blessing people and people going through things and God promoting them because of just knowing how to uh, do battle, then I'm just so happy. That's really my great fulfillment. Um, I'm not here to make money. I'm not here to create a name for myself. I'm, I'm just here really to see God bring as many people as possible into this room and into this church that could grow and to influence others. And that's really my great desire. Number two, Jesus was really 
he was fully aware of his position as leader. Verse 14. Jesus understood that he was, he said, he said, verse 13, um, he understood that he was a teacher. You call me teacher, verse 13, and you say, well, for so am I. Jesus wasn't insecure. I mean, servant leadership is not insecure leadership where it's groveling to everyone. Uh, he understood that he, was, that he was a leader, and this is also in verse 14, that he was leading them. Um, before the disciples experienced him as their servant, they had already experienced him many times before as master and as a strong and extremely powerful leader. And this is the thing, is sometimes we look at really strong and powerful people. We look at Christ, and uh, you can, you know, if you do not know Christ very well, then he looks strong and powerful on a throne, and he is, because he's king of king and lord of lords. But he is also uh, a servant leader, and this is how the disciples understood him. I think it's good that there is a level of vulnerability that people can observe in a leader. Uh, I, I say that because uh, Jesus allowed his disciples to see that he was a human being, that he was hungry, that he was thirsty. And I think that good, strong leadership is not leadership that uh, does not allow people to see that they have clay feet. But good leadership is, is that I am so secure in who I, who I am in Christ that I am not trying to hide anything. And uh, maybe there are some churches today that right after church, the pastor disappears out the back door. And I had one pastor tell me, he says, I do that because I'm scared to talk to people. I'm afraid that they're going to find out that I'm really not a powerful person, as like I'm trying to portray I am. Well, that's not really our goal, and that's not really what Christ desires. He desires that uh, we would understand his humanity and that uh, he, was a, he was a leader. Number three, Jesus voluntarily becomes a servant to his followers. He did not come primarily as their foot washer, but he was ready to do this service for his followers, his disciples, if needed. Jesus wasn't there primarily to wash their feet, but this was a way that they could see uh, his weakness, his humanity. And usually uh, what would happen is, is that if you had a guest come into your house, then a servant would come, and with the towel that they were girded with, they would wash your feet. Uh, not the master of the house, but the servant of the house would do that. And so when Jesus did this, Peter's reaction was like, what are you doing? You can't do this. You're the master here. And Jesus said, if I don't do this, then you have no part and no fellowship with me. And so, and then lastly, Jesus really wanted to set an example. And so this is very important. This is uh, very, very important. Now, uh, Jesus came into this world as a servant of God, Isaiah 42.1. And there's many verses, Isaiah 52.13, Acts 3.26, and Acts 4.27. He also, came, he also came to serve man, uh, and, and we read that in uh, Matthew 20, 28. However, Jesus did not come just to be our servant, whereas he came out of obedience to God serving God. So Jesus didn't come to serve our needs. Okay, that's important. He didn't come to serve our needs. A leader doesn't come to serve people's needs. 
He's there to serve God. And when a leader is, when you are in leading people, you have to understand that, that many times uh, if you're in a leadership position, people are going to look to you to serve their needs. Uh, whether you're working at a job, you're there to do what your boss told you to do, right? That's what we're there to do. We're not really there to serve people's needs unless it's part of the job description. But our primary goal as a leader in the church is to serve God. There's lots of needs around us. I mean, you know, every one of us has needs, and there's many needs in the church, and many more than we could even realize. And so when, when we serve, we have to understand that Jesus didn't come to serve us. He came to really serve God and be obedient to do God's will. And that's John chapter 4. Jesus said, I came to do my Father's will. My meat is to do the will of the Father. That's important. Because when we understand that we are not servants of people, but we're servants of God, it really frees us up from the different complicated situations that can, that can arise when uh, people see that you're an influential person in the group, and they may want to try to manipulate you or get something from you. And when we're there, when we're there to serve people, to be people pleasers, do you, understand, do you understand what I'm saying? To make everybody happy that will create a very complicated situation where we'll be vulnerable to be manipulated, right? Where we've all been there. I mean, I, I know uh, probably all of us at this table have been there where we've really tried to pander to people's needs and wants, but then we, it just becomes an endless road of just servant, servitude to that person and manipulation. It's not healthy. And so if that happens, then we have to kindly explain that, you know, I'm here really... Uh, because this is my responsibility and duty, uh, whether uh, God as a pastor told me to be here or uh, God has, or, or, you know, leadership in the church has asked you to lead a, a, a certain aspect of something, it may come up where uh, people may come to you and they may want something from you. It's good that you default to who your leader is. And in this case, Somebody asks you to do something for them, and sometimes we just have to say, you know what, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to ask God what he wants me to do, or I'm going to communicate up and just find out what we should do. So we understand that Jesus didn't come to be servants, uh, servant, our servant, but he came to really to be a servant of God. Um, And we see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Let's just look at that. And that's just exactly the situation I'm talking about. This is a new church um, in Acts chapter 6. It's, the, um, it's after the preaching, the, the um, falling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And uh, it's a... Now comes the nitty-gritty with all of the people and all of their complicated situations. We read in Acts chapter 6. Uh, let's just start in verse, um, verse 4. Um, well, let's start in verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, or the Greeks, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now there was like a daily distribution distribution of food and help that was happening from the church daily. That's amazing. It's that the first church was doing that. Mm-hmm. They were ministering to people on this level. 
And I think that someday we could do something like that, and we could talk about that at some point. But it would be nice to be able to have the ability to distribute to the needs of disciples and to Christians. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, um, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, this is really interesting because um, if what could have happened in Acts chapter 6 is, is that the, the apostles, the disciples, could have gotten really distracted by the needs of the new church and begin to only serve the needs of the new church instead of really uh, being focused on the real need, and that was uh, prayer and the ministry of the word. And I think, you know, sometimes we may see this, that there may be a young pastor who's inexperienced uh, because of the great needs in a church may wind up actually neglecting his study time and prayer and preparing for the ministry of the word because he's just trying to do little details, so many little details that he doesn't he hasn't learned how yet to delegate things out to assign assign things. And that's really a big thing that that um, a leader understands that, you know, the most important thing in my life is my relationship with God. And that's always got to be uh, very, very um, strong. It's got to be a good flow of communion with God in the word and study. Because without that, then all of my horizontals are going to start pulling at you, and they're going to pull you to pieces. And the needs that arise in the church will try to um, distract us really from serving God. So there is a there's an illustration. I think I've used it before, but it's I'm going to try to maybe I could just do it on my iPad. It's an illustration um, of the world's view of leadership and that would be look that would look like this if you were to take a look at the way the world um, understands leadership it would be like this it'd be like a pyramid right mm -hmm. and then you'd have the guy on the top the leader and that's him and he's kind of like telling what every and he's telling everybody really what he what to do he's like he's communicating down right that's my artistic ability right there he's like down he's communicating down right like i'm the head guy you listen to me and this is what we're doing but in in uh in the in the kingdom of god it's different it goes like this the way jesus did it was this Every, the whole picture was, was upside down. Jesus was here, and he was serving. He was carrying on the weight, uh, he was carrying the weight of the whole thing on his shoulders. And he was speaking up to people. He was saying, he said, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you're going to, you're, I'm going to teach you and you're going to learn afterwards because I'm, gonna, you, I'm going to be an example. And this is effective leadership right here. When we can, the, the greatest leader, Jesus said this later, he said the greatest leader is a servant of all, right? So who really in the church today is someone that God raises up to use, to be used in a great way? 
the talented, gifted guy? Well, maybe, but that's not necessarily the uh, the the preference of God. God wants to raise up servants, and I think in our church, um, I think that really is the way our church functions because. There are ministries and there are denominations out there that have a lot of money, a lot of funds, and people, uh, they attract a lot of money because they're, they are a certain kind of church with a certain kind of message that's not really focused on discipleship or pertinent things or even challenging messages. It's more about platitudes and um, homilies and uh, tricky intellectual things that they can say that are very stimulating. But in, a, in the way Jesus leads, he is carrying the whole thing on his shoulders. And that is really the way many times we may find ourselves. You may find yourself as sometimes a doormat. Maybe sometimes you'll find yourself leaders. Someone that is a servant uh, will... Uh, is going to have a high profile, right? A higher profile than maybe other people. And that means you're a target. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Actually, you may not even be the leader of your group, but maybe you are the most responsible. and You are maybe serving, or maybe you are uh, the most motivated, you know? And that, could be, uh, and that could be very challenging for the person overseeing your uh, team or, or whatever the situation is. And what do we do in that case? Well, we just serve. Um, John Maxwell wrote an interesting book called The 360 Leader, 360 Degree Leader. And there's a lot of great principles in that book. Um, And that means that a person can be a leader, although he's not the leader. And that means a person could be, uh, like Jesus, like Paul said to Timothy, um, you being a young man, um, be an example to all. And that means that although I'm not the pastor or the worship leader or the accountant or this or that, the Sunday school head or whatever, uh, I can be a leader in my circle. And that means that people that are around me, I can influence them in a 360-degree way. That means maybe I'm not the pastor, uh, maybe I'm not this or that, or I don't even have a title, but I can actually... Uh, uh, impact other people with a godly example and with a spirit of faith. And that's really what we need. That's what really we really need these days. Um, I just thought I'd maybe share with you um, five most common struggles that pastors face. Um, and these are just uh, maybe, there's many, many more, I think. But um, uh, sometimes people look at the pastor and they say, well, He's always okay. <laughs> he's always doing great, you know. He's up there preaching and doing this, and he's always leading, and you know. And um, if you're a leader or a pastor, or you know, um, in some way leading uh, a, a a team of some kind, uh, they're going to be these five things are going to be pertinent to you. And so just take them into consideration and um, really pray for leaders. That is probably the most important prayer. That we can that we can pray. Um, Matthew chapter nine verses thirty-seven, uh, thirty. I'm sorry, nine, chapter nine verses thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Uh, Jesus says, "Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into His harvest." 
What is he praying for? He's praying that God would raise up pastors and leaders because there's a harvest out there, harvest of Christians, harvest of unsaved people, harvest of people that are just spiritually lost, and they need to be led. And Jesus was so touched by people's, uh, like people were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, shepherds are like, they're not very popular people. When you say that I'm a pastor or I'm a shepherd or I'm a discipler or I'm a leader or, you know, uh, shepherds are in, in the book, in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Genesis, they were not popular people. They were actually the lowest of the low. Uh, I think it's Genesis chapter 46 verses, I think it's 34 and 35 that the, that the Egyptians stated that they, they considered shepherds as abominable people. They were just, they were just, uh, uh, they had no reputation. They were rejected. They were just despised. Uh, they were just, and the Egyptians always refer to the world system. And it's interesting, and that's the way today the world looks at pastors. And let's, I can see you turning in your Bibles. Let's just turn to that scripture. Genesis 46. And Genesis 46. Yeah. And Joseph said to his household in verse 31, and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. Verse 32. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have had they have brought their livestock, and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all they have. Verse 33, so it shall be when Pharaoh comes, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation, that you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to Egyptians." And so the idea was is that Joseph's strategy here was is that because we are despised people, because uh, Jacob and his family came down to Egypt when Joseph became next to the Pharaoh, uh, that they would have their own land in the land of Goshen. And, uh, and so we see here that, that the world does not like pastors and, and leaders and preachers and teachers. So I just want to finish with these five common struggles that pastors face. And when you pray for pastors, pray for these three, three, these five things. Number one, criticism and conflict. Um, it seems to be growing more and more. Pastors seem to be experiencing greater challenges. Um, the most of the issues of conflict are not doctrinal issues. They used to be back in the day, but now it's not. Indeed, most are really trivial, most are trivial issues. Finally, uh, very few pastors are equipped and trained to deal with the steady stream of critics and crises. And so that's number one, criticism and conflict. And this is the number one thing that leaders face, and pastors too, is criticism. And again, as a leader, if you are leading people and if you're influencing people, and maybe you don't even have a title, but God is just using you like God used David, the, the eighth of, the eighth, the youngest of, of, of eight kids. And he was influencing and leading and um, uh, touching people's lives. 
it could be very well that you, you as a high-profile person are going to be criticized and you're going to be uh, and you're going to be facing crises. And so we have to be ready for that. If I'm a pastor and I think that nobody's talking about me, I mean, not in our church, but in just in general, if I think I can be a pastor and no one's talking about me behind my back, I'm wrong. <laughs> People are always talking about leadership. and how, You hear it all the time. People are always talking. And I'm not saying this because I don't, I, you know, I'm so, I don't really, I'm not worried about that at all. And I, I don't think anybody here, and it's not even why I'm saying it. I'm just saying that most pastors, a lot of pastors can't handle conflict. And they can't handle critics. And even when there's like a constructive idea, you know, it can be interpreted as, uh, you know, hey, what are you doing? You know, what are you saying? You're saying I'm you're trying to say I'm not doing a good job, or it's just it's just insecurity, and that's that's baby stuff. That's that 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 pastor needs to go back to the baby um, pen and just learn how to, um, you know, suck his thumb again and get his get his ducks in order because there's no room for insecurity as a leader, right? I mean, there is none. I mean, it's none of it. And um, if somebody takes shots at you and you're and you're being criticized and you're not a pastor or whatever, maybe you're in an office or something like that, then we have to be so secure in who we are in Christ. Jesus in, in chapter 15, verse John, John, 4, uh, John 15, verse 1, said that Jesus knew he had come from the Father. And before he does all the service, he understands who he is. So a servant doesn't do... A leader doesn't do what he... He doesn't serve because he feels that he needs to make it up to people. Uh, a leader, a servant leader will serve because he understands who he is. And that's what we do. We serve people. And sometimes it gets messy. Sometimes it's beautifully amazing, like unbelievable. Sometimes it's difficult. But we have to look at it when our primary motive is the motive of love. So that's the first thing that most common struggles that pastors face, and, and leaders too. Uh, the second thing is many pastors struggle with family problems. And with all my children, no, I'm only kidding, I don't have any kids, of course, many pastors struggle with expectations by church members of their spouses and children. And that could happen. You know, you could, you could see this, and I've seen this happen. You ever hear of PK? You know what a PK is? A pastor's kid? Um, what it means is, is that if the pastor's kid does something wrong, then he is held to a standard and a level of, of expectation many times that the average normal kid is not. And he can be highly criticized. And uh, a pastor's family or spouse or kids or whatever may struggle with expectations from church members. Others struggle with finding time for their families. Many pastors' families struggle with the glass house syndrome. What that means is, <coughs> is that a pastor lives in a glass house. Do you know what that means? Everybody's looking at his life. Everybody's watching his kids. Everybody's watching everything he's doing. Everything. And I'm talking about big churches, and this could happen. This happens. Pastor gets... You know, he gets like a new rack for the top of his car to put uh, his surfboard on, or his—I mean—and everybody sees that, and they're like, "Oh, the pa- you know, pastor's got a n- new surfboard or something." And I'm just pulling something out of the out of the uh, out of the air. It it uh, it can be that pastors really struggle with people's expectations, and not only the pastor, but you know, 
people are going to be looking at you too. Number three, stress. Um, many times um, a leader or a pastor's life is one of emotional highs and lows. Okay, it includes critics and adoring fans. So you have your fan club, and then you have your critics. That happens with really high-profile celebrities, doesn't it? You have your fans, you are awesome, you're amazing, then you have your critics, like, oh, you are just trash, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And this causes stress. Expectations from, from team members or in the church can sometimes be very unreasonable. Do you, ever, un, do you ever have unreasonable expectations placed on you? <laughs> like, you know, what? Like, you know, you're just, you know, you're supposed to be God. How did you do that? Why didn't you, you know, or like they say this, well, you're a Christian. How come you just, you know, you just did that when you, uh, you know, when you that's hit your finger with the Not th- very Christian-like. Yeah, that yeah, wasn't very Christian-like. That's the one that... You know, so you, you, because you know what? You're a Christian on the workforce. And people are looking at you, and they're like, and sometimes it can be very unreasonable expectations. And, and that can cause stress. And many pastors don't know how to deal with that. Um, you know, I had someone, I had, when I had just gotten ordained, I asked another pastor who had really discipled me. I said, what do you have to say to me, um, you know, as for advice, you know, I was just starting to pastor my first church, and he says, you know, so I learned a long time ago that my life is not my church. My life is Christ. Because if my life was my church, I would be a manic, depressed, manic depressant right now. He said, I would have so many highs and I would have so many lows emotionally as a pastor because your church goes through a lot of stuff. There's really high moments, <laughs> and then there are those low moments, you know, where you're just like, oh, my gosh, you know. And that's when really the compass of the love of God guides us through what we're doing. So that is stress that, um, you know, um, some pastors are so stressed out, by Monday they just go to the golf field and they just golf. Golf field? Golf course? Golf course. <laughs> I'm not even a football field. I don't, I don't You can tell I don't play golf. I'm have to get you some clubs. <laughs> so, you know, and so some, some pastors are so... I heard two pastors, they got together, and they were at a golf course, and one pastor starts talking about how, went, how good things went in the church, and the other pastor said, you know, I'm so stressed, let's not talk about shop right now. <laughs> it's like stress, you know? And so, number four, depression. Everyone's going to want to be a pastor after these five points. Depression. Um, depression is very pervasive in the pastoral mission, ministry. And it's often a secret problem, believe it or not. Did you know that? Many pastors, and I think, you know, spiritual leaders face depression because they have a unrealistic expectation. I don't suffer from depression. I am a happy person, uh, I think. Um, okay. When things are, when things get tough for these pastors because why do they get into depression because their life is a church their life is like you know their life is well we had poor attendance this Sunday so I'm really angry I've come home and I'm just nasty to my wife and my kids all run away because they're afraid of me and you know and then it was a great Sunday in church a lot of people come or it was a great service then everything's great I come home and it's bright sunny shiny day in my house and that is just so that's so wrong and our life has to be Christ, right? No matter what's happening in our 
in our leadership. And then lastly, and this is really a big, big, big one right here. This is a big one. Burnout. Local church ministry can attract two types of people. Two types of people church ministry can attract very easily. Number one, lazy people. Why? Because they can get an easy job and not have to do much because they think that the church doesn't expect very much. And then workaholics. These people that are just, let's do this, let's do that, let's get this done. 5,000 things, you know. And uh, I, I can be that way. I can be very like, wow, let's just do all of this, let's do this. And becoming a workaholic. And that leads to burnout. Accountability is often low, and it can easily get away with little work or 70 hours plus a week. And so we can see sometimes in ministry some pastors who are, or some leaders in in ministry that are lazy and others that are just overly, that are just workaholics. Uh, In America, it's really easy to, you know what I have one African guy tell me from Nigeria and Ukraine? And I'm just going to finish with this. He, he came to our Bible school. His name was, um, his first name was Prince, and his last name was Bank. That was his name. His dad was a king in Africa somewhere. And he said to me, he goes, when I, I said, what do you want to do after you finish our Bible school? Because he had just applied. And he said, well, I want to be a pastor in America. I go, why? He goes, it's a great paying job from what I can see on TV. <laughs> And he goes, he goes, all I have to do, he says, just preach once a week for a couple hours, and then all these people give me money. And I said, oh, man, you are in so in the wrong business. This is not for you. Burnout, can always, burnout happens when we lose sight of love, the first motivation in a, in, a, in a leader's life, and grace. Because if it's not love that's motivating me in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 14, and if it's not grace that's keeping us when we fall, then I'm going to burn out. You know, I'm going to burn out. And just, because, because you know, as a leader, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of failure. You're going to see a lot of, you're going to see every, you're going to see your own failure. People are going to see your own failure. And we have to understand how to deal with that. We have to understand that there's a cross for people and there's a cross for me. And we all go to that cross. And that cross where we all go to, we all meet there. And whether we, whether we um, succeed or we fail as a leader, our, our understanding always has to be that I'm going to burn out in this business if I'm, if I'm trying to put on people some type of a works program, like you, put a, putting a, sta- a standard on people that you've got to reach this certain level and then you're going to be accepted. You're going to, be, you're going to arrive at the spiritual success. If you give this amount of money... If you attend these amount of meetings, if you do all of this, you're going to arrive to this certain place. But that always leads to burning people out and you yourself burning out. So as a leader, we always want to make sure that, um, you know, what happens if I'm leading people that are not saved? Well, I need to go to God and just get God's heart for these people. And it may take some time to say, God, give me your heart for these people. Because if not, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> and then God's going to say, you know what? If you pray that way, you know what's going to happen? God's going to show you things about that, those people that they never told you. And you're going to be like, wow, you know, I've been praying for this guy. And God just showed me something about this person. And he's never told me that. And maybe I don't say anything to him. But I understand he's going to need in his life that he himself is not seeing. And so now I can lead him and I can lead lead him to Christ in that area. 
maybe I see that he's he's a he's a easily maybe he's a high highly agitated person that is very disappointed in if it's my boss for example or someone that's highly disappointed in what I do then maybe I can understand that maybe he himself is holding himself to a, a, a standard or a um, a, uh, a standard that he himself can't even reach and so when we pray for pe- when we pray for people and we ask God for his love we're not going to maybe necessarily have a lot of great feelings for people but we're going to have something that's deeper and that's going to be insight into their love I mean into their life and if I can have insight into that person's life then God's going to give us wisdom about what's going on in their lives and that's what we really want as a leader a leader is someone that that serves that gets wisdom from God about people and learns how to lead them into who they are in Jesus Christ. And that's really what it's all about. And uh, understanding how to take care of those five, uh, those five pitfalls in leadership. So do we have any questions or any comments from anyone?